Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is a fellow American that is living over here on the other side of the pond with me, but he's in the Netherlands. His name is Jared, and he's just made the move to Amsterdam about nine months ago with his entire family. So we dive into all things Dutch today. We talk about why we both love the Netherlands as a place to visit and live and how he was able to make the move there via a program called the DAFT program, which is an entrepreneurial program set up by the Dutch government to invite entrepreneurs to come and set up a life there in the Netherlands. So he's leveraged that program to create a pretty epic life for himself, which he says is pleasant and comfortable and has done wonders for his family. We also talk a bit about his backstory and how he's lived in multiple countries across the world and just what it has meant for him personally, professionally, and his entire family to have this opportunity to live in the Netherlands. He's loving it. I loved talking with him about it. It was a lot of fun. I'm craving uh, another trip back now after this conversation. So I hope you enjoy and I hope you'll help me in welcoming Jared to About Abroad. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I think that we got some of your typical Dutch weather down here in Spain, and people are kind of freaking out. I, I, it's been hilarious. It's been raining for three weeks, and people are not really sure what to do with their lives. The whole the whole thing here in Spain is like people are, you know, the the idea is you live outside, and now people mm-hmm. can't go outside, so they're like, "What do we do?" Yeah, the funny thing is that they have the same idea in the Netherlands, just requires a significantly different set of gear. You, you can't, you know, slightly water resistant isn't really a thing here. Uh, it's either waterproof or it's a sponge. And I, I found that out. I had some, our company has uh, tactical jackets that we use as sort of our, our letter jackets for our company. I thought, oh, I'm all set for Dutch weather. This thing is you know, designed for commandos and made it like about a week and a half through August. And it was, it was just could not keep up with uh, the, the, the Dutch hydration syndrome. Uh, it is it is intense up here. Yeah, it it blows my mind. Like one of the, my favorite things about the Netherlands and and like Amsterdam in particular is like the the bike culture. But like the what the fact that the bike culture like everybody rides a bike and they just don't care at all that it's just like going to rain on them while they're riding a bike. And I'm down here like when it's sprinkling, just like covering myself in a in a trash bag or something. <laughs> yeah, you just you, you know it's it's a little more prep, right? You, all of your shoe, you know, suede doesn't really sell very well here. It's not uh, it's not a thing. But um, you know the. I mean, with the bikes, you know, you you, you just kind of get the right the right jacket. They've got some raincoats that actually are designed for riding bikes. Put your hands through and this whole thing, and it, and it's you know you look very matrix, you know, in your your trench coat and all of this stuff. But it's you know you just you just do it, and there really is no better way to get around the bikes. I mean, it, it, the travel time is is usually about five to ten minutes faster by bike than by by public transit, and you know gas prices are crazy, so you, you just you just bike, you, you know, suck it up and, and, you know, go get a coffee and whatever else uh, will, will put you in a, a recovery mode after a, a cold, 
Bristol Pike. It's actually the wind here more than the rain that gets you. The, the North Sea winds, I mean, you'll see just a half dozen bikes just blown into the canal and, and stuff like that, you know, pretty regularly. So it's, yeah, it's a thing. Oh, man. I, I'm also like a big fan of the pedestrian zones, biking. Like I, that's one of the things I think that just like kind of always attracted me to Europe coming from the US. I don't know if you can relate to this, but like coming to European cities, I was just sort of infatuated by like, I never have to drive. I just walk or bike everywhere. And it's it's a weird thing that I think I can like never give up now. Yeah, I did a trip back to Texas, uh, I guess in February, and it was like half in Houston, half in Austin. And just flying into Houston, I just, I, I had forgotten that I haven't really seen a parking lot in nine months. <laughs> and I'm in Houston and all I see are parking lots or people parked on the highways, right? It was just, it was amazing. And it was really nice weather when I was there. And I was like, oh, I got in on Friday and I'm going to meet uh, one of my colleagues for a drink. And oh, there's a bus that just goes right there. And I told him I was just going to take the bus over. He's like, are you crazy? You'll be murdered three times before you get there. And like, oh, right, right. Houston. Yeah. Got to gotta disconnect uh, from, you know, the, the peace and tranquility. I, my wife and I have kind of joked that, you know, some of the beautiful parks here and there's a lot of rainbows the Netherlands because it's always raining and whatnot. So there's, we, we have a couple of these moments, like, I think we just moved to Hobbiton, right? Like we're in the Shire here because it, it's like, everything is soft and, and gentle and you just ride your bikes everywhere. Everyone says good morning. And, you know, then you're back in Houston and you know, been stabbed three times before you even get your luggage off the belt. Uh, yeah, man, it's, it's something funny. Like the public transport thing is, is a weird thing for us as Americans, right? Like we don't, we just like, I mean, if you're in like, you know, New York or something, you use the, the subway, but I mean, most places like we don't, we don't think of using a bus. We don't think of using the. It's, it, it's for people who don't own cars, right? And, and that's, and, and if you're American, you, you own a car because that's, that is uh, oftentimes a lot of, at least in Texas, a big part of your identity, right? Here it's, it's not the case. I mean, you see millionaires on a, you know, $50 bike that, you know, has a, has a, you know, $10 lock on it. And if it gets stolen, uh, whatever, they'll get another one. I mean, it's just kind of, it's a very different, different rhythm. The thing that's really blown my mind here is more than once a week, there's this big bridge that we have to go over that has like five story barges full of coal and stuff on it. I mean, big, it's a big bridge, but there's a lot of construction around there and you'll just see construction workers you know, guys shoveling asphalt or gravel, like singing while they work, like in some 1950s musical or something like that. And if you think in back in the States, like when was the last time you heard someone singing with the joy of their humble job? Like, you know, there's no joy in a humble job in, in the U.S., right? These guys have health care. They've got, you know, they've got a place to live. Their kids are going to school. Like it's, it's sorted out here. So, you know, take a job shoveling, grab their outside, looking at the tulips. Your life is good. You know, I, I have to question some of my life decisions. Like, should I, should I have been a construction worker in the Netherlands and, you know, this whole internet? So I had, I had someone on the show like a couple months ago that uh, was talking about this. She lives in like what I would call Pleasantville. Like you're, you're living in the Shire. She, she lives in Pleasantville in this town in Germany. And she was saying like in this town, they have these little, the town's called Freiburg and uh, it's a whole episode, just us nerding out about Freiburg. Okay. So there's these little like out those little canals. I don't know like what you'd call them, little creeks or canals running along all the sides of the roads where the water runs off, and they've somehow made like drainage beautiful, right? Like that's kind of a tough thing to do. And she said there's people that their job there is just to scrub those little canals, like, 
and they and it's a great job like it's a local person's not maybe not a dream would be too much to say but something along those lines where it's like that's a good that's a good working job and all they do is just they have these special little tools and they clean these little canals and that's their their whole thing and it's like they're they're living a good happy life she said the exact same thing the the europeans have chosen life you know uh, there's there's a there's a french version of it there's a spanish version you know everyone has a slightly different calibration but at the end of the day that's one thing that europeans sort of in the post-war world war ii environment that line on is that you know the average person should be able to live a comfortable life that really kind of makes for a wonderful society i i have to say uh there's there's certainly i i have a little bit of survivor's guilt moving here we'll we'll leave the the, the u.s perspective off uh, for, for a bit but it's wonderful here yeah I, i've i've fallen in love with it as well i, I get it. it it's interesting so i don't know all of your history i'm i'm excited to, to dive into it but I also know this is not your first stint living outside of Texas. So I'm curious, like, like had you had you lived in Europe or, or, or let's just actually let's back up even more. What, tell, what are some of the other places you've you've lived around the world? So see, so I I went to Europe right after high school. It took kind of a, a gap year. I don't think it was as formal as that. It was just the 90s and it was kind of everybody was laid back about going to school and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, I really I spent. I didn't go see, you know, all of the the touristy things. I spent like I had a URL pass, and I just kind of crisscrossed across all of these different cultures and foods. And back then there wasn't a euro, so it was I have you know twenty thousand lira. How many you know Deutschmark does that take to get to you know to buy a, a sandwich in Paris, right? Or something. I mean, it was a lot uh, a lot more heterogeneous in, in a lot of ways. But I, I really fell in love with just people I met on the train and youth hostels and all that, and it just really kind of got its hooks. Um, into me. So after, well, I, I ended up meeting a woman and we had a, a you know, sort of an ill-considered uh, early marriage in that point. She's German. I, uh, and I got a, a pretty good dose of, I, I wasn't living in Europe, but I was living with a European. So I got some, and we were back and forth to, to Germany quite a bit. And so I, I, I became sort of less American and more European in, in terms of a lot of the ways I, I was living. That was about, you know, five years of my early Adulthood. So after college, I went to, I got a job, took me to Vietnam. And that, that, that's a whole, whole crazy story in, in of itself. But I spent about seven years in Southeast Asia, split kind of evenly between Vietnam and Thailand. So I was in Ho Chi Minh City, Bangkok, and Chiang Mai. And that was a very, you know, intense career-wise and, and, and uh, intense growth and, and, and just perspective on, on life. After that, I was back in the States. Uh, I went to Fort Worth, which is as foreign as any of the other places that I, I'm, I'm mentioning today. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, Cowtown, like it was like it was like being transported to the 1950s or something. Uh, it, it was it was pretty pretty wild. Two years there, and then and then I was in Sweden for a year, and then from Sweden I moved to China for two years, uh, where I met my my wife and ha- had my first kid, and then uh, back to the states for about eight years, and then now uh, we were we're in so for the last nine months or so. So yeah, a couple stamps in the passport. I have so so many questions <laughs> because I'm just like, I kind of want to start with Fort Worth, uh, Texas, but considering we're two Americans and it's about abroad, let's, well, I'll steer clear of that one, but I'm, I'm chuckling on the inside. It's a very traditional Texas town and you can just, uh, I, when I lived there, I said I would, I would only go three places, which was Central Market, Austin, or the airport uh, were kind of the three places in Fort Worth that, that I went. I, it's it's fine, uh, perfect for some people. It was absolutely ridiculous for me to. Yeah, 
I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine going from like Ho Chi Minh City to Fort Worth, Tech, like that, like, and you're talking about this like growth and evolution that you went through in Southeast Asia, and then that transition must have been so di- like such a dichotomy. Yeah, a lot of people in Fort Worth thought I was British, and it's like I, I, I grew up in Austin. Uh, I have a degree from UT. You know, I, my, my parents. Uh, met at UT, I, like I'm, I'm very much a, a Austin person, but they were like, "You're foreign, or something." So it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a, it was a thing. I guess outside of Austin, you could be foreign in Texas, right? Like Austin's a, a pretty strong bubble, increasingly so. But it was, it was, it definitely helped me understand what lifestyle I don't want to have. But I, I did have kind of a European lifestyle there. I actually lived right across the street from where I worked, so I only drove my car on weekends. I do everything was they have a nice, they have a nice little downtown area, and so we we went to this Italian place and you know after work every day and drank peronis and ate pizzas with a couple of Italian guys that, that worked at this. Place. And so it was, I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, I guess I didn't blend in too much. So it just kind of kept to my own <laughs> other expats. Yeah. I mean, were you always kind of predisposed though, to this, like more of an international lifestyle? I mean, you've, you've married, you know, two foreigners, you've lived in multiple countries, you felt European back in, when you moved back to Texas, like, do you think you were always sort of like seeking this international lifestyle in a way? Yeah, I suspect so. I, I don't, I mean, I think back when, you know, I, I was real into like King Arthur and all this stuff. And I, I read pretty voraciously growing up. And I remember that I went to a Montessori school when I was second and third grade. So I never actually learned English phonetics. I never, I was really bad at spelling, probably uh, arguably still am in some ways. But I, I actually read a lot of British novels. And so I remember throughout school being really confused as to whether I was supposed to, what the American English spelling was, you know, the S's and the Z's and stuff like that, because I'd been seeing them so much. So I, I guess, yeah, I never really, never really matched Texas. And so uh, I think, I think that there was some, you know, love of the foreign that that's always kind of been in my DNA. I think, I think that about myself as well. Like there's a ton of, it's, it's so interesting listening to you because there's a ton of parallels between our, uh, our stories, like just, I mean, a few bullet points off the top. Like I also kind of cut my teeth in traveling in Europe by like you railing back and forth, zigzagging all across Europe and spent some time in, in China as well. And, and, and just kind of fell in love with the European lifestyle. Like after spending some time in a bunch of different parts of the world, I was just kept getting called back to Europe. And I think it's the the lifestyle. You you said that exactly. Like, you know, you're just kind of living a European lifestyle. And I don't know how to describe that to people sometimes. Like people will say, you know, what is it about Spain or Europe or, you know, what is it? And I'm like, it's just the, it's the lifestyle that kind of calls to me. And, the, and then the second bit, I think is, as you referenced as well, is like zigzagging from one country to another. Like even though the Euro's here and that's gotten rid of the Deutschmark and the Lira and different currencies. Still like- very tribal over here. It's so tribal. I, 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 I was, I really thought that the EU was like a thing, but it, it, it's like a, it's like a, a, a thin ribbon wrapped around a bunch of completely non-integrated things. I've been just, I don't know. I guess it's always been Europe, but I, you know, I speak French and a little German and, and whatnot. And I'm learning Dutch, so I like I, I'm not completely oblivious to to these other cultures. But yeah, they're really just completely uh, like it, it's hard to sort of fathom. I mean, I'd say that there's more in common between New York and Alabama than there is between you know the Netherlands and certain parts of Belgium, right? Like, I mean, it, it's just you know, and that's 150 miles apart, right? So you know, it's not it's the amount of traffic in crossing Houston. You'll go from like three different languages, 
you know, in, in, in one drive. So it's it, it's pretty shocking, and and that's part of you know that's part of the wonder. If you like being foreign, this is a great place. You know, you can be foreign, you know, three times a day. That's that's the best. I was going to ask you if you could describe it, and you you did. So that that nailed it. Yeah, perfect. And, and so one thing I really want to get into is this move to the Netherlands. We can just start with with why the Netherlands. Not that you need to explain it to me because I get it. I uh, I absolutely love Amsterdam. I've said on this show many times that it's one of the few other cities in Europe that I really have a call to go actually live in. Like I could live in a million different places. I'd be happy in a lot of them, but it's the, one of them where I'm like, I really want to go spend some time there. But I'm curious about your story. Like why why the Netherlands and Amsterdam? And, and then we'll get into what life's like there. Well, when I was leaving Sweden, I was working, uh, I was I was freelancing. I was actually making surprisingly good money uh, freelancing. And I, I for various reasons, I kind of needed to get out of Sweden. I was doing a graduate program there that didn't really work out for me. And so the U.S. was right in the, you know, at the middle of the recession. Uh, you know, there was no work there. It didn't seem good. I thought about going back to Vietnam, but that seemed sort of not moving forward in, in some ways. And so, but I, so I, I was actually going to set up a, a freelancing business in Amsterdam to, to, to work with these two clients. Now, right before I set up the company and all of that stuff, both of the clients kind of evaporated. And so I was, I was going, okay, well, you know, what do I, what do I do? And there's, there's a treaty in the Netherlands called the DAF treaty, the Dutch American friendship treaty. And so as a U.S. or Japanese citizen, you can basically get semi-automatic work residency visas for you, your family, healthcare, this whole, like you get the full experience and it, you need to move like 4,500 euros in capital into the Netherlands and they like roll up. It's an entrepreneurial freelancing kind of scenario. And so that I knew about that treaty from, from that moment. And so that, that was like, the, it's kind of the easiest way if you don't have just tons of cash to move into the EU. I mean, you, you either can marry someone, which wasn't an option. You can get a golden visa in Spain or Portugal, like buying an apartment or, or something like that. And that's a couple hundred thousand euros. And, you know, unless you have, you know, relatives or whatnot that are, are you know, one or two generations away, it's pretty, countries don't really want you to just be digital nomads and just show up, right? Like they, you need to kind of come through whatever whatever doors they, they have open. And so the Dutch historically have always been very welcoming to, you know, I mean, going back to the Spanish Inquisition and all the, the Jews that, that left there and, and all that stuff. And it, it's always been a commerce hub. And so if, you, if you're coming to do business, the Dutch will have you as an American. And I think with other nationalities, it's, it's doable, but they, they, they have a, there's, a, there's a deep and a very like, straightforward treaty that just says, you know, unless you really don't have a plan or, or don't have the money or doing something totally sketchy, and they have a pretty broad definition of sketchy over here. So, you know, you, 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 can, you can arrive. And so that was, that was an option. We looked at Canada, like Vancouver, Montreal, you know, we wanted, we, we just wanted to get out of the U.S. The U.S. In, in my, from my perspective, I'm just kind of putting the U.S. on a timeout. It's got to, it's got to grow up and get its shit together a little bit, frankly. And when it, when it settles down, then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it again. But for the time being, I just don't need the, I just don't need the aggravation. So since my wife was, you know, kind of feeling less engaged in the U.S., there was, uh, you know, as a foreigner, as a, you know, a foreigner of some color, she definitely did not feel as welcome in the U.S. And that's something as a you know, six foot three white guy, I don't really I don't really understand. So I wanted to take that seriously. And we wanted to go to a place that was very open to to foreigners and, and to, you know, had an international 
energy and uh, Amsterdam definitely, you know, definitely qualifies and, uh, as that. So that was, that was kind of a lot of our calculus um, was wanted a place that was, you know, modern and, and sophisticated enough, but, you know, not, not so fussy as Paris or London where you're just, you know, it, it's just, it's just so intense uh, living there. Right. Uh, and Amsterdam was kind of like a really big village, you know, it really has this very, I mean, it, it's pretty hard to be stressed out here. I'm sure you can do it, but it, it, there's a lot of things in, in in Amsterdam just saying like sit here and have a have a beer, look at the look at the ducks, uh, swans and stuff. There's tulips, you know. It's it's it, it, it especially with the bike riding, it, it puts you you know in kind of a happy mood. I don't know. There's something very very jovial about about riding a bike, and it, it, you can feel it kind of instantly when you're here, and it just puts people in a happy place. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, like I said, one of my favorite cities and you said it right. Like it feels like a big village. Like you, there's different neighborhoods that have different vibes, but like the, the city, the architecture, the flow of the city, mm. it's not a mega metropolis. You know, it's not, it's not London or Berlin or, or even like the hecticness of Rome. I mean, it's, it's got a calmness to it that, that just kind of works. But then at the same time, super international people from all over the world, business friendly, all the amenities you could ask for, tons of like great food and, and and awesome transportation you know you want to hop around other places in europe you've got major international airport there they've got that part sorted i mean infrastructure in the netherlands i mean they had a little hiccup with the trains this weekend where you know they didn't run for a day which kind of screwed up some people's lives but other than you know the occasional uh happenstance like i i just i can't fathom that i'm in another city in in like 25 minutes from my house i just you know and i mean that's like oh shit i've got a meeting at you know noon and I, you know, I leave at, at 11.15 and I'm in Utrecht. No problem, you know, and it's like, that's just very, very, very integrated. And I think, you know, if you look at the Dutch history, they added 40% of the surface area of the Netherlands in the last 300 years, right? So they, like, they, they blocked, like, they literally blocked off a huge bay and then drained it of seawater, filled it full of fresh water and started building islands and all this stuff. So the, the expression over here is that, you know, God created the earth, but the Dutch created Holland. And they're kind of right. I mean, they, they literally decided that they wanted this land and they wanted it to work this way. And everything here is done very intentionally. And that, and they had some good ideas about it, right? Like they, you know, there's, we were, we were in Germany, we we're in Frankfurt and whatnot, and they've got trams and some metros there, but it's more spread out. It's, it's a, it's a 10 block walk. To a tram in Amsterdam, it's it's two or three blocks, right? And they run. Oh, we missed the tram. Well, there'll be another one in four minutes, right? So, like you know, like you don't even have time to like scroll through Reddit or anything. While you know, you're like, oh, I, I'm already like I get that all the time where it's like, oh, I'm already there, or I almost missed my stop because I'm just moved around this country so efficient. So that's it's really pretty pretty wonderful. Yeah, it's it's funny in Spain. Something that I've noticed is like as you go to different parts of Spain, there are certain like hubs where a lot of people from other European countries come to. So like for instance, Mallorca is like full of Germans. Um, like when you meet a foreigner there, there's a pretty good chance that they're they're German or in the south of Spain, like on the Costa del Sol, they're normally like British or Irish. In Valencia, that's Dutch. There's like 30 flights a day between the Netherlands and Valencia. So there are tons of Dutch here. I have a bunch of Dutch friends that, that have either moved here or spend most of their time here. I'm at my co-working. I would bet that there's of the 50% or so that are foreigners, about 25, about 50% of those are Dutch. Um, so 
I get to interact with a lot of Dutch people and talk about, you know, what they love about there, what they love about here. And I've traveled there quite a bit. And I just am always I like all the things that you just said, that's what I come back to. Like it's it's efficient, it's pleasant, it's it, everything works. And that's a really nice change of pace when you're coming from Southern Europe sometimes where you just said like, oh, the, the, tr- the train didn't work that day. It's like, yeah, that's pretty much a daily occurrence. Yeah, I mean, it was in the national news for, you know, like people are losing their jobs over it. There's, it's, it's a, it was a big deal that the, the trains didn't work for, you know, really for a few hours, but that caused a whole day of delays. You know, it, it's very exceptional. You know, and it's, it's funny, the Dutch are, are, the Dutch and the Germans have a lot of, a lot of common uh, cultural components and a lot of divergent ones as, as well. And, and, you know, the trains running on time, efficient clean cities that's kind of like that that common you know uh yeah. you know rhine rhine valley kind of uh, of energy but the the thing that's funny about the dutch and the reason that i they really kind of endear themselves to me is that they have a lot of rules they really like breaking them too and 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 so like they're they're totally like culturally they're totally okay with bending the rules as long as it's cool and doesn't cause any problems for anyone else I, so there's this whole thing if you don't swipe out on a on a subway you, you get a 20 euro fine right and you can you can go online but it's a huge pain to get recover that so they really try to make sure that you check in and check out, right? I, I did it wrong my first week here. And so I, I didn't check. I didn't see coming from the airport, picking up someone that, that I didn't check in. I didn't see the check-in thing. So then I needed to get out and I, I, didn't, I hadn't checked in. So I went to the info booth. I said, hey, stupid American here. I'm new. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to get the 20 euro fine. How do I do this, right? In the, the info booth, the woman with the, the paddle boards and all of the, you know, like she's She's official, probably 65 years old. And she's like, oh, yes, 20 euros. If you talk about any kind of cost, that hurts the Dutch at their at their core, at their soul. Like spending any like one, you know, I've been reprimanded for buying a ticket that costs, you know, 50 cents more. And they're just like, are you crazy? You know, like I like really on my case about it. And so 20 euros, this was like, you know, man, this is a big deal. And so she's like, you know what you do? See that person? You just go through the turnstile, just go go right with them. Like, just go at the same time and just like jump the turnstile. Like, like you know, there's like camera. I mean, I'm in Amsterdam Central and you're telling me to just to like jump the turnstile. There's cops everywhere. Like, I don't, I don't know. She's like, oh, okay. You don't, you don't feel uh, comfortable with that. She's like, okay. And then she just locks up her booth and then comes and like badges me out. Like, completely just just like sneaks me out you know and there was a woman waiting in line who's like hey what are you doing and she's like i'm busy you know helping this guy like you know illegally like, get out and i just went you know i that's like it just puts a smile on your face like it, it, you know i mean obviously they're going to get lots of money out of me i'm going to be running their trams for the rest of my life probably and i just love that you know like that's a lot of paperwork and a little bit of cat like let's just let's just cheat you know it's a, it's easier for everyone if we just cheat let, you know so let's just let's just do it and uh, you know i i hadn't found that same same energy in, in my time in germany so it was it was just like i like the i like the rules plus yeah there's, there's you know, there's there's options here. They they're, they're they're merchants at the end of the day, and very very sort of practical about what what's important, big picture kind of stuff. So it's I, I love the Dutch. The Dutch make me smile. I don't know how else to say. Yeah, it. that's awesome. I love it. They it, you said they choose life. You know, I mean that was choosing life, right? Like there, she's like, ah, oh, we could be bothered by this and figure. Eh. Yeah, why? What a hassle and all that stuff. You know, like let's let's just uh, you know here. You know, oh, you don't feel comfortable jumping the church style. You know. There you go. Yeah, just just go. And it's it's. And I've had several other moments with like officials where I'm like, 
are you like, is this, am I going to get arrested for this? Like, are you really? Okay. Really? All right. So, all right, cool. You know, thanks. Thanks a lot. You know, they, they do that. They're just, uh, yeah, you know, bus drivers all say good morning. It's just, you know, I mean, we, it's not to say that there aren't, you know, jerks here like there are anywhere i mean you, you can get run over on a bicycle like like there's guys just pulling ass uh you know yeah. everywhere and I've, I've got a six-year-old on a little bike who's weaving back and forth on these dutch bike highways the feet pods that are like you know people are just looks like tour de france and you know you've got you know a guy with pokemon cards in his spokes and it's uh it, it's it's it can be it can be intense but it's uh we have not had yeah we're we're we and we you know we've We've enjoyed it here. It's been good for the kids and for my wife, and she's felt much less isolated than she was in the U.S. You know, and and so she's she's not quite as gregarious as I am, but she's found the the Dutch and just all of the other foreigners here. You know, she's got a she's got a much bigger group of friends than I do at this point. So it's, wow. it's been kind of kind of wonderful. Yeah, is that a is that a pretty strong contrast to to back home, I, I guess, you're, you're having the big social circle. I, I, she felt a lot of microaggressions in, in the U.S. You know, I mean, she's, she's Chinese, uh, you know, with, with, you know, extremely fluent in English. I mean, I'm getting her to help with some transcription for, for our company today, right? So, for, so she's, she's, she's quite literate and, and international. I wouldn't say, like, she doesn't give off a particular foreign vibe or anything uh, like that. A lot of people don't immediately notice that she she's not um, you know American, uh, but uh, she just felt I don't know uh, there was there was a lot she a lot more anger or hostility in in the interactions. Uh, I don't know if that was you know her her perception or or you know Texas is usually pretty welcoming, but again I, I've got the the white guy perspective, which uh, is probably pretty different. So yeah, uh, it, I've definitely. If you just look at, at the number of friends and and the sort of social engagements and things like that, um, it's it's night and day difference. So yeah, yeah. and and so and how about the kids? Like, so you, you mentioned you have a six year old. You have another child as well, correct? A nine year old. Yeah, nine year old. Yeah. Two boys. So in Texas, we got yelled at by one of our neighbors for letting our kids play in our front yard without being out there watching them. And here they get on their bikes and say, okay, you know, after like, you know, they eat lunch at like 11, 1130, you're like, okay, we'll be back by six. And this is a six-year-old and a nine-year-old on bikes. And they just, yeah, I mean, we're in a, we're in a little, um, a little community kind of off the, on an island right off uh, Amsterdam. It's a, about 15 minutes to central from here, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a very safe neighborhood, you know, even for the Netherlands, but I mean, it's on a street with cars and stuff like that, but they just, they go and they go to the friend's house, they go to the park, they go, you know, get into all kinds of trouble, which as a Gen X person, you know, that's how I grew up where, you know, my parents are like, we'll have food ready in a few hours, you know, swing by and, uh, you know, go drink from the hose or whatever that, that whole, you know, that whole uh, culture in the 70s and 80s that was you were able to be independent as a child where in the u.s you know either rightly or, or wrongly you know it's keep, keep the children you know i mean you know school shootings and whatnot certainly help make parents nervous uh for sure but you know here it's like there's a lot of other parents out and about and you know we keep an eye on their kids and it, it just kind of yeah so my oldest just showed me he wrote an like a, a full page essay in Dutch. My nine year old, yeah, like I mean, I think he was there was some Google Translate uh, in there, but he he's like wrote an essay in Dutch that I couldn't read uh, half of it. Uh, my Dutch is you know 
starting, I, I would say not, not very fluent, but I mean, I can, I can order things. I can, I can navigate. And he was, I mean, he's going to Dutch public school in a few weeks. So that's, really? they have this whole, this whole like newcomers program. How long have they been there? How, when did you guys, or how, what's Once the rough timeline? Yeah. Yeah. We arrived in like July. They started school in August and we have to take the trams a ride. It's about a 30 minute bike ride right now. Probably because the kid, it's 15 minutes on the way back after I dropped them off, but about 30 minutes with a six year old to get there. And it's like, you know, one, one whole like big neighborhood area over. Um, but now they'll be going like 200 meters from our house. So, uh, that's. That that will be you know we can we can sleep till you know twenty minutes before school <laughs> instead of getting up two hours and whatnot so it's 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 nice but yeah they've they have a really robust program here of called the newcomers program where they go to a special school to ramp them up on Dutch and to get them into Dutch public schools and so in their class they've got people from Venezuela Uganda Brazil you know everywhere China etc i mean it's 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 a, a complete you know melting pot and so it's it's really fun in the mornings with all the other parents and you just hear you know the Moroccans over there talking and the Portuguese over here and Russian over here and yeah it's it's a cool it's a cool program and it, it seems to work our, our kids picked up Dutch um, you know they have several friends that uh, friends that don't speak English and they just you know, have fun speaking Dutch the whole time. So yeah, it's uh, the, one of our, our sort of families that we're close to is from Brazil and their daughter doesn't speak English. So they just speak Dutch to each other. Uh, so Portuguese to English, they just, you know, met in Dutch. It's kind of, it's kind of wild that way. Yeah. I, bo- both of us are like cheesy and over here, like, cause this just, this is the kind of stuff that lights both of us up. I can, I can see it does for you too. I mean, that's just such a cool experience. And I, uh, I bring so many things to mind. Like one, kids are so resilient and so capable of adapting. I, I talk to a lot of people who are interested in making the move abroad, but they're worried about their kids. And I'm like, kids seem to love it generally. Like when I talk to people like you, they, they end up having a pretty good experience or if nothing else, what an awesome learning experience, right? New languages, meeting people from all around the world, the the cultural sponge that's getting absorbed there. I mean, they're just, they're picking up so much along the way. It just seems like an awesome experience for, for them. And I don't know if you have a different perspective, but that, w- that would be my assumption. Yeah, I, I mean, I, our kids are pretty resilient. We've traveled a lot with them just, you know, over the years, uh, we, even when they were little bitty, you know, they've gone through passport control, you know, dozens of times. So they, they, they kind of get traveling because that's that's a big part of how we spend our our recreational time is is on on trips my wife is an avid traveler and so so i would say that every parent's concern about about their kids is really the first two or three months and then after that it's a different whole thing so there's a japanese family that we're friends with they've got four kids and i would say the older the kids the more trouble uh, it, it is in some ways. So there's, you know, there's a continuum from like, you know, kindergarten to, to whatever, 12th grader to you know, graduating. And the, 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 the further along they are, the more important friends are versus family. And that kind of sh- hits right around middle school where friends start to become more important than your family. And that's a healthy, you know, part of that because at some point they need to move out of the house and, and go get a life, right? So, you know, our, our kids are, our, our oldest is kind of at the edge of that. Like friends are becoming much, much more important and much bigger part of his identity. You know, he's, he's nine going on, ten, it'll be 10 in August. So he's, he's at the beginning of the end of the real easy time. 
to, to move them around. But the Japanese family, so they have, uh, you know, three girls and, and a son, and the son is, uh, I think, 16. And he's having a, he speaks some English, but he's having a tougher time just with the, the curriculum and all of that stuff. I mean, it's, you know, two plus two is a lot, is easier than trying to learn calculus in a foreign language or something like that, right? So it's, I, he's having, I, I know he's had a, a tougher go. And then in the Netherlands at 12 years old, they, they have a, pretty intense decision that is made as to whether or not you're kind of going to trade schools or to the university. There's kind of three different, there's like, like, you know, trade school. And then there's like a, a, like advanced school, like technician kind of thing. And then there's like the full university thing. And you decide that in middle school and like that determines kind of your career. And there's, there's a lot of critiques and whatnot on that. I don't understand enough about it to have an opinion, but so her oldest daughter is is going into having to sort of make that choice and she still is learning Dutch and all that. And so there's different, the, some of the newcomer stuff that the younger kids get are, it's different for the older kids. It isn't as, it's a, maybe a little bit of a gap in, in the in the planning around some of the, the re-entry. So I definitely see some of the older kids having a little bit more of an effort and they're going to feel maybe the the absence of friends more. But for, you know, if they're in anything that looks like a Muppet phase, they, they seem to, to rally really well. We've only had them say that they missed, I mean, they've they missed their friends, they've mentioned it, but there was only one like sad moment. And that was when my wife, uh, she had some pretty rough go with COVID and some, some sort of uh, long COVID effects that were, were putting her in a pretty bad spot right when it started getting really cold, really dark and really rainy. And that all just kind of hit right in like November. And, and there was a, there was a, you know, a couple of sad moments where it's like, I miss my friends. I miss you know my, my mom and, and all of that uh, uh, grandma and all of that. And so there was, but that's really been about it. Otherwise, you know, we check in on them regularly and, they're like, yeah, I'm fine, and off on their bike, and you know, they're just like, okay, so you know, uh, there we go. So I, I, I wouldn't. I think it depends on where you go. We have some friends that that moved to Germany. That uh, I think they're they're right outside Munich, and you know, yeah, some of their their the, their younger one had a harder time than their older one. So I, I think it depends on your kids. But man, they're resilient as hell, and I, I wish I could learn languages as as quickly as they do. I mean, when I was younger, I I picked up you know Thai where I can speak conversational Thai in about six months, and you know when you get into your mid thirties to, to 40s, uh, your brain just dries up and your ability to like store new languages just is in rapid decline. So, uh, you know, don't wait, I guess is the, is the, is the takeaway, right? No time like the present. Do it early. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm experiencing this as well. Like I, I learned some German 15, 20 years ago. And I remember feeling like within six months I could like, I could speak, you know, I was fine. And I mean, I'm here, I'm learning Spanish and I sometimes still think like, ah, oh, I should be better at this. And and then I hear about your nine-year-old, you know, writing an essay in, in Dutch within within a year. You're like, what the hell, man? Like, this isn't fair. It, it isn't. Yeah. What is it? Youth is uh, wasted on the young. So yeah, it's, uh, exactly. So, you know, it, I mean, I, I think that exposing your kids to languages early is, is just bad. Fantastic! Like they, our kids went to a French Montessori school in Austin. Uh, they don't speak a word of French really, or like bonjour, ça va, kind of stuff. They they don't remember any of it, but they at least learn to learn. 
languages. And then, you know, my wife's, you know, native Chinese speaker. So they, they've got Mandarin classes, you know, a couple times a week. So they're actually learning two languages at the same time, not including, you know, and growing in English uh, as their sort of primary language. And so I think that, you know, we're, we're pushing, <laughs> pushing the envelope on what their little brains can handle. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, they're, when they graduate and they're going to be, you know, pretty fluent in three languages, I feel like that'll that'll set them up for whatever. However, we're screwing them up as 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 parents and, and all of this stuff. They'll at least have tools to to be able to get themselves right or, or go. They've got a lot of world that they they you know can go connect with. Yeah, I think I think it's awesome. I mean, I'm I'm partial. I'm pretty obsessed with you know international business and culture and and adapting to different parts of the world and working with people from other parts other corners of the world so i'm i'm biased of course but i i think it's a, a great service and an advantage that they'll have in, in a increasingly flat world where you know we're working mm-hmm. with people we're collaborating with people all around the world every single day multiple times per day knowing how to interact with people from different parts of the the globe is a good thing and, and across language barriers cultural barriers i i think it's a nice advantage to have We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes, to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's It's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now, this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So they know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. Hey guys, so many of you write in asking how to support the show best. And if you are listening and made it this far into the episode, then I'm going to presume that perhaps you're one of those people that wants to help. So if that's the case, the best thing you could do right now would be to open up the app that you're currently using to listen to this episode. Go to the little arrow thing that allows you to share, select it and share it to one of your social media networks. That would be a huge, huge help. You can feel free to tag me at DC Warrington and I'll slap you a virtual high five from wherever I am in the world. Thank you so much for the support. We really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy listening to the rest of this episode. One thing I wanted to ask you about was we, you touched on the, the, I think you called it the DAFT program, which you know is ba- was basically your entryway into the Netherlands and therefore the EU. And you were right in citing that it, that's not, you know, that's not an easily accessible thing generally to move from, say, the US to, to Europe. But this program sounds pretty sweet and I don't really know a lot about it. So I wondered if we could go just a little bit deeper on kind of the criteria and process. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you have tons of cash, there's lots of places that'll have you, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I haven't uh, had that problem yet um, working on it. But so, you know, for us, we, we our, our business is, is is doing well, but not, you know, I'm not. Yeah. You know, still still working. So 
you know, we needed something pragmatic to be able to kind of get in there. And so the DAF treaty is really designed, I think, kind of fundamentally for freelancers. So if you're gig economy and all of that stuff, I mean, it's it's really pretty easy. Uh, you don't need a lawyer, but it wouldn't hurt. I think that would be a couple a couple grand well spent just for getting all of the all of the paperwork. And there's a sequence and a timing and, and all of that. But it, it has been my mine was more complicated because this company was a part of my. So I had the U.S. based company and I was opening a branch. And so there was a third company that connected them. And that was a lot more a lot more lawyer. You were opening a branch in the in the Netherlands. Yeah. So so that. That is a lot more complicated, and I, I'm not sure if we're getting a whole lot of benefit from it. But hey, it, here it is. So if you're just going to say like, "Hey, I'm uh, an engineer, or I'm someone in tech, or whatever," and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to live in the Netherlands, and I want to, you know, if I've got a couple of customers over there where I can be making a living. You know, they'll have you. And I mean, I, a friend of mine was a musician. I think he had a, he had like a little store or like selling like custom shoelaces or something like that. I mean, you can, you, it doesn't have to be like a tech thing. Like you just need to be able to make a living. And it, it was, a, it was about, I think that maybe it went up from like two grand, but now it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's 4,500 euros of capital that you need to bring into the Netherlands to be able to, to do all of that. And you need a, a, a viable business of some sort. I mean, that you're not going to come over here and then not have any money and then expect the government to help you. That's, that's not the game. But if you're, if you can make something that looks like a living and depending on where you live, you can actually live very cheaply in the Netherlands, but you know, that, that is not Amsterdam. So there's housing crisis over here that is actually worse than, than in the U S uh, in, in a lot of ways. So it, it's, it, it's, it, it isn't, it isn't perfect over here. Uh, again, not a lot of land they, they've had to add, you know, a, a lot to it, but yeah, you get, so if your spouse comes over as a spouse, they also get a full work permit so they can work anywhere. So it, I, I, my wife was, she works part-time sometimes for the company. And so uh, I, it, we were going to maybe move her over as an employee, but we ended up moving over as a spouse. So she can just go get a job anywhere, which is, you know, uh, pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it, it is indeed. And kids, they get to go to school. We're all part of the healthcare, you know, we have to pay in, of course, but it's, we're, you know, we're, we're Dutch in every way, except, you know, voting. We have a temporary permit for five years <clears throat> and then we can apply for either citizenship or permanent residency. Uh, but there is a language requirement there. So you, you've got five years to, to get to pretty decent Dutch. So it's, it's not hyper fluent, but you've got to be, you know, fully conversant and, and able to, you know, read and write and speak in Dutch. Do they use the like A1, A2, B1, B2 scale? Yeah. So it used to be A2, which was pretty easy and, and doable. Now it's B1. So that's, that's a little, but apparently from B A2 to B1 is apparently not that big of a thing. So I, from what I think if you're focused, you could probably do it in a year is kind of the, the impression I get. And, you yeah. know, I, I'm now at the point where I'm, I'm able to understand Dutch a lot better uh, listening. And so I'm trying to just keep, keep picking away at it. But my wife, she, you know, she loves languages and, and all of that. And so she, she's at E2 now after like six months of trying. We won't, we won't toss her under the bus just yet. That's, uh, I, I do get that though. That's cool. So this DAF program, I mean, there's, there's a lot of really strong benefits to this because the, the way this contrasts, it sounds like to say a lot of the digital nomad visas that are emerging or like the visa that I'm on here in Spain, uh, which basically th those visas essentially let you come and stay and sort of live as a tourist. But you have to prove that you have 
significant means to support you x of the the system like the government system the social system so i can get away with a lot if you're not a problem right yeah but you have to prove that you have an income coming in from outside x of europe because they don't want you coming in and taking a european job essentially that sounds like that is not the case here you're you're actually do they actually want you to have like a a physical presence or or like a they want it to be like a dutch company or do they want someone like yeah you can you can set up essentially you can you can come in as a sole proprietor um and we have one uh us a friend here who was essentially as a sole proprietorship. So he he's I think yeah he's just he's created another entity around himself. It's not a a separate company, but it's it's just a sort of another manifestation of his him consulting in the U.S. Uh, is now him here, and so he's essentially came in uh, daft that way. I set up what is called a BB, which is a, an LLC equivalent. So mm-hmm. it's it's truly a separate company where I'm a you know managing director of this company and I am an employee of it. And that way, at, which is important if you're trying to get things like mortgage. And so the the banking system here is not as welcoming to Americans, uh, thanks to I forget the acronym, but it bar or whatever, but essentially most European banks or global banks really don't want American customers because the the IRS and the, the law that was passed uh, about five years ago makes it incredibly hostile to any bank if they are doing any business with an American in terms of reporting and all that. So you can you can get a bank account here, but it, it took me about a hundred days or more to get a bank account. Here. Uh, and that was not not easy. So especially for your, for your business and then a personal one, a bunk is, is a great little service that you can kind of set up a, a digital bank, but you have to show a residency within 90 days to be able to, or they'll close your account. So you, you need to time that just right on all that. So banking was was hard, but once you get the bank account, you get your BSN, your, your essentially your social security number. Once you get that, all of the dominoes start to, to fall into place, but it's kind of a chicken and egg where you need to rent a place to be able to get a BSN, but you need a bank account account to be able to pay your rent and you know and it's it, it was it there's it, it, you can kind of get stuck if you're not careful uh and so having a lawyer that can help you sort of navigate and, and prioritize those things are good but otherwise it's i mean there, there really isn't a lot, a lot of rejections uh, so i mean you really have to have a a bad idea to, to kind of be rejected. One of the guys that at the school, he, he setting up maybe a cutting board or charcuterie business, maybe uh, like he's still in the, like, I'm not sure phase. So he's over on daft and, 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 you know, no problem. And he doesn't have like a real business yet. Uh, he's, he's kind of working on that. So I think you can lose money at your business for like three years before they start to get suspicious. So, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty reasonable, uh, as I would Very say, welcoming. I, you know, yeah. And the, and the other the aspect about you being your wife being able to work is huge too because a lot of times it doesn't work that way. And I have I know people here that there are people here that are on, you know, many visas that allow them to be here but their spouse can't work, um which is a huge yeah. pain in the ass for the, for their family. So that that's that's actually like a massive uh, added benefit there. If it wasn't for the weather, this place would be 10 times as uh, the population, right? I mean, yeah. the, the, the wind and the rain keeps, 
you know, is a nice, keeps a, a barrier to just everybody showing up in the Netherlands. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's a, it, it is every encounter that I've had from, you know, parking tickets, which I've had to, you know, healthcare where, you know, saying my wife had COVID and, and all that. We had some complications there. We're seeing specialists and, you know, we don't know what we're doing with any of this stuff. It, it was all pretty much as easy as it could be. I, I'm, yeah. you know, there, there would, there could have been a couple of slight optimizations. I'm a user experience guy. So uh, like, I, you know, pretty, pretty judgy about these things. And now that I, 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 I've kind of, I get it. I mean, it's, it, it's really easy to do everything here. Has, has there been anything that negatively, like, like that shocked you in a in a challenging way? Like, oh, I didn't expect this to be this hard. I mean, you've lived in a bunch of countries, so you're probably pretty aware of, of what this process was going to be like. But anything that someone maybe moving to the Netherlands for the first time, you'd be like, you should know X. You do not need a car and you really don't even want one uh, is, would be my thing. I mean, it, so we had two cars in Texas, you know, with the payment and gas and insurance and all that. And that money you can just not spend here. An e-bike, I would say is a good idea. Uh, the wind will just like you need a little, a little assist it is you, you will, you will, thank, you will thank me for that. Yeah. Things that are rough in the Netherlands. Uh, I mean, it gets dark. And if you're not used, if you have any of that seasonal darkness, I, I, I did a whole, you know, a, a winter in Sweden where it was just pitch black and, and, you know, two meters of snow. So I, 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 I'm pretty resilient that way. Uh, my wife less so. So you need to actually take vitamin D pills here, which actually apparently help with COVID and are a good idea anyway. So everybody take your vitamin D. Just, you know, everyone everyone needs more vitamin D apparently. Damn it, Netherlands. We keep trying to find something wrong with you and you keep coming back with the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've got a bunch of vitamin D gummy bears in uh, in the US and uh, that, that makes it a lot easier than the sort of homeopathic drops in their milk. The kids were not liking that. So that, you know, vitamin D gummy bears. Um, there aren't as many good bakeries here as I thought. There's a lot of okay bakeries, but like if you're really, if you really like French, like sourdough, like stuff, like it's kind of a schlep to go get those, but they, they have them, but it's, it's, I kind of thought they'd be more on every corner. And so there's a lot more of the like more factory kind of produced bread here than I, I would have thought. Uh, excellent snacking culture. I have never had a bad French fry here. And I mean, they have, every French fry has been exceptional. Like not just okay, exceptional. French fries, like check. Yes, okay. Sauces. They do not order anything in the Netherlands with sauce on it. It is like sweet, like sweet mayonnaise, sweet peanut sauce, sweet curry sauce, like it, like like almost a dessert grade sauce coming from the states. I don't know what's going on there, and I, I have issues. So I've started making my own salsa at home just because I can't. I can't do that. I can't. I have to say something something funny on sauces, which somebody listening might be like, sauces? Like, is this this is a subject? It is. It, it is an important thing. This is not a small. This is not a small deal. They put it on everything, so you need to you need to be aware. So, so here in Spain, it's the opposite. Like, it's like the Mediterranean diet. You do, they use lemon or olive oil. So, so there's no, there's not a lot of sauce. And so it drives my wife and I crazy when we order like French fries, we'll be like, and uh, we want a lot of ketchup, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And they give you like, uh, they give you those one little tiny pack of ketchup. And I'm like, no, no, a lot. And they're like, oh yeah, sorry, here's one more. And we're like, all right, listen, like when I say a lot, 
I mean, like, give me like 40 of those things. <laughs> and we're just, we're, and so we joke, we're like, we're condiment people. Um, we're, we're used to our sauces and, and high quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, here, here's an issue. So it is raining. I'm looking out over the water right now. So I'm in three dimensional, I'm on an island. I'm like basically surrounded in three dimensions by water. And four or five euros for like a little bottle of water. And then I've got to pay 50 cents to go piss it out. Like, what the hell? There's, this place is basically underwater. Water is everywhere at all times. And I, we one time we went to a place and I said, like, "Can we just have tap water? Just, just give us like a." Glass. And they, they gave us a tumbler glass, half full anymore, and you have to pay. Like, what is the, what is the, what is this, this, this weird water retentive nature here in Europe? Like, I, I'm sorry, but that is like that's one of the few things I'm going to give to America is like, you know, in Texas you get, you know, a, a two liter glass full of ice water. Uh, I, I made ice the other day and gave myself an ice water and it was so refreshing and delightful. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, water, water and condiments, not, not, not really, uh, you know, deep, given all of the, the suffering in the world, these are, these are first world problems, you know, right. I mean, our, our, our condiments are slightly miscalibrated. I mean, it's it's pretty okay here. Uh, the the weather is is hardcore. Like you you need gear like you're a fisherman uh, some days. Like you know, like really that that is absolutely critical. I don't know, man. I'm I'm pretty happy. I, I don't I don't have the cheese is is phenomenal. Like they really like cheese is is epic uh, here. And um, so you know the the Dutch. Yeah, I mean, we we were at the market uh, uh, this past weekend, and there was a German uh, family there, and they were buying like I think I I was in the wrong line. I was behind them, and they just kept ordering. They were at like two hundred and fifty euros worth of cheese, which is like you know ice chest quality, you know a full thing of. So they have really good cheese here, really good vegetables, no spice, not a lot of, of like Dutch food. There's some new modern Dutch cuisine that has actually been we, we, for our anniversary went out, and it was was pretty all right uh, but you know if you're you're looking for you know if you're coming from spain france italy you know greece it, it, it's uh, texas even it's pretty pretty bland it, it, like like you know excruciatingly bland but uh, again that's why my salsa game i've started making salsa every weekend and uh I'm, I'm start, starting to dial into something that is, is you know, sort out your condiments uh you cannot get bacon here i don't know why they have a huge pork industry but we we got bacon and it was so salty that it was we, it was inedible uh we had we washed it even at like and it, we couldn't we, it wasn't like safe for the children kind of salty and so that a decent american ribeye is a hard fought thing so nine months in we've got a couple of semi viables but nothing so you know the vegans will do well here i would say live on french fries and cheese man sounds sounds good to me french fries oh, and cheese uh, yeah yeah you you could do just don't expect a glass of water to wash it down yeah exactly right you can get blueberries that are like the size of plums here it's uh that's that's pretty awesome so that it, it's it's uneven right like every place is good at some things and and not as good at others and the dutch are 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 pretty well sorted out it was pretty cool we had a, our neighbor came over to watch a movie and he's like oh I'll bring over some local beers and you know i mean i'm from texas i'm thinking like taps or like you know like some like you know shitty local you know i mean like okay maybe there's some better craft stuff now but like it it didn't really get me that excited and then oh you're bringing over like chimay and all of these like belgian ales and i'm like right i'm in i'm in the place that beer was invented so yay or you know 
in the, the greater the greater beer uh, you know area, and it's like, oh, local beer is here, right? Is Heineken, uh, you know, fresh without any preservatives? Like that's pretty fantastic. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not trying to get everybody to move here, but it's pretty nice. It's pretty, you're digging pretty, it. There's you know, there's wild blueberries right up across the street from my house, and the kids just go out in the summertime, and you know, it's, yeah, it's good. The yeah. juxtaposition of that versus like also having a massive international city just right at your doorstep that you can ride a bike to and tram to in just a few minutes is is the thing that I think is hard to grasp if you haven't been to a place like this where you're just like they're not two separate worlds they're they're right there next to each other and you can have this like beautiful family life in a in a safe area and also walk in or ride your bike into a an amazing international vibrant city that's a pretty epic thing well even in the dangerous areas here it's not that dangerous right i mean like there's you know there are places with some trouble and you know there's rotterdam has this whole cocaine trafficking thing going on so there's some some stuff going on i mean it's it's not you're not like you're still on earth right where, yeah. where people are, are are coming in and out and all that but i mean again with the kids in the city like our biggest concern is that they're going to be hit by a bicycle and that is a very real concern uh and it, it, it's a, a constant concern but Again, it's not like, you know, out of all the things that can happen to a kid, you know, hit by a bicycle is, is, is a manageable stress level, right? And so, and it, this is a tiny town. I mean, it, you know, we, we're riding our bikes or taking the tram and then, you know, you'll, you'll take one tram this way here and then you'll take another one, you know, kind of here and then you'll ride your bike and you'll go, oh, those are a block apart. I didn't realize that like, oh, the Rex Museum, this, that's the same area. I didn't realize, like, I thought this was this huge city, but it, it's really, I just came from different directions and didn't realize that, you know, you can, I mean, we're on the far east side of Amsterdam and the airport is on the far west side and it's, it's an hour bike ride, to, you know, to, to the airport. Right. You know, and it, which is another is basically two cities from here. And, and so, you know, you can, if you wanted to, you could absolutely ride your bike to the airport. And that's just, you know, like, try that in New York. Right. I mean, no way. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, not, um, not happening. I, I feel like we've, we've done a, you know, like maybe the government of the Netherlands wants to give us some sort of you know, payment for the the ad that we've done here, but it wasn't on purpose. We just both happened to love this place. I'm happy that I had a chance to meet someone that's actually made the move there, gone through the DAFT program, and and share that with the audience because I I didn't know the details and and I haven't lived there. So it's it's very cool to hear how you and your family are are thriving and and thoroughly enjoying it. Um, that makes me me happy, and I'm I'm sure people listening are are pretty intrigued. Uh, for, for well, going one, one caveat is that the DAF treaty is is actually is only for American and Japanese citizens, so that does narrow narrow that that access. I know other people can come here. Uh, it, it's just maybe a little less. It's a little less fast tracked and it's a little less entrepreneurial. So I don't know the constraints of, of if you're Canadian or, or whatnot wanting to come over here. I know that the British with Brexit have some, there's some backdoor kind of way to get in here that way. So there's, I know that, but the, the Dutch are pretty reasonable. And I think if you're, if you're not going to cause a problem, they're, they're probably going to find a way to, to accommodate you. At least that's been, been my experience. And yeah, you know, the weather and the food are, are challenging at times, but other than that, it's, it's been just fantastic. I mean, I, I'm, I've, the housing market is hard. I, I mean, yeah. like it's like 20% per year right now growth. So, uh, and rents and stuff like that. So you, you'd have to probably, you know, depending on what your means are. Uh, and you know, like we just, we just put an offer down on a house significantly over and they're like, yeah, we really wanted, you know, five times that over. 
Okay, well, enjoy your house, you know. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a challenge. Uh, and so, but you can also live in you know Leiden or in Utrecht or in one of these other towns, and you can actually get to Central Station in Amsterdam faster than I can. Right. So it takes me about twenty five minutes to get there by tram or something like that. Maybe seventeen plus the walk. Yeah, it's about twenty five minutes for me to get in Central. But from Utrecht to to central is like 25 minutes and you're you know like i mean it's it so the, the space here is a little different so you can absolutely be live in you know my my lawyer lives near rotterdam and she works every day in amsterdam yeah like to put that in perspective for somebody i mean that would be like in the u.s like if you know it would be like chicago if you lived in chicago and you worked in new york and like you know there's this like you think there's this big distance between the two two major metropolises but but it's not it's 30 minutes by train it's an hour and a half drive it's it's honestly you, you live in North Houston and you work in South Houston. You're you're looking at the, the same amount of commute, and this is on a high speed train with Wi Fi, and you're you know looking at windmills and tulips uh, as you yeah. as you whiz past, and it's 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 pretty civilized, man. It's it, I have to say. So yeah, I mean, my other expat lifestyles have been good. You know, Vietnam was was very volatile and and ridiculous and wonderful you know it was right as the country was sort of starting to come out of its slumber uh, in 2000 mm -hmm. you know china is like living in the future i mean everything is leds and and moving and so many people and so much going on and so much business and, and all that but it's you know both of those places are, are hard right i mean it's yeah. it's it's not e easy living it's you know there, there's a lot of high amount of friction and abrasion even with very friendly people. It's it's just it, it's got an intensity, you know, to it. Sweden, I I I I met a lot of really great people there. It is a beautiful country, but it didn't click. It, it, and it's a very different it's a very different culture uh, than than Dutch culture, despite you know, kind of a lot of proximity and similarities. It's pretty pretty divergent. You know, these guys are much more risk takers. Uh, Swedes are very less so. I, I think. Would, would be a fair a fair statement. And I don't know. I, I, I like the Dutch. Like, I mean, I, I'll meet a guy at a, who's taking my rental car at a parking garage, right? And like, we just, I don't know, we start talking politics or joking. In. And if, you, if, you're, if you're not fragile, they'll love you here. Yeah. You know, if you are, you might find them a little, you know, like, oh, you know, you're you're an American. You guys do anything stupid lately? And I'm like, you know, like, OK, well, hi, you know, uh, here's here's the keys to the car. You know, but if you can laugh at yourself and, and don't take things too seriously here, uh, you'll, you'll I, I find that I get along very well. My average encounter with them is, is usually extremely positive. So um, I agree. I, I feel if the government is listening, thanks for thanks for having us. Uh, we're, we're, we feel very we feel very lucky lucky to have this as an option and have the means to be able to to make this happen. And also feel free to compensate us in whatever means you feel necessary for bringing lots of foreign investment to your country. No, I don't think you understand Dutch culture uh, properly. Then that's 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 that's, that's not going to happen, right? That's we didn't we didn't even get into the uh, tickies and stuff. I uh, I was on that last note. And we'll wrap it up. I had a, a good Dutch friend of mine who just he loves just do, doing all the stereotypical Dutch things and, and making fun of them. Send a, a 
Tiki, I think is Tiki the correct word? It's basically like kind of like Venmo, but but specifically for dividing checks so you can divide checks like perfectly. And like he sent me a Tiki for like a euro 12, you know, on, on like a three euro purchase split between three people. And, and so it's just a, it's a funny thing that's that's somewhat true. And I also have a Dutch friend here who's the most generous person with his money. He's always picking up the tab for everybody. And so it's uh, stereotypes can be fun and true. And I love it when they are. It's it's a it's a little joy that I get in life. But they're not always true either. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's 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 some truth behind all that. We went to a, a garden party uh, in the neighborhood and we brought the coffees or something like that. And they'll bring the snacks. And, and it, it was there was four of us and it was it was a plate with four pieces of chocolate on it. And it was just like, you know, my wife's Chinese, like we, you know, she, her, her mom makes fun of her for not cooking, you know, seven, seven dishes for every meal. Right. And, you know, soup and all, all of this stuff. And it was just like, that is that, that qualifies as uh, the one and, and, oh, and another plate with uh, four cookies on it and four chocolates and, and, and everyone gets, you know, one. And it's just, I, I mean, it, it's, it's endearing in how kind of like, the, there's just moments of, of Dutch culture where you're like, I like it here, but I am not Dutch. I, and I, I am now reminded in the, that moment that I, I, I'm not wired I'm more, you know, let's cook a bunch of food and let's all, you know, eat it and, and you know, let's feast. And it's like, it's, it's a different thing. And we, we got reprimanded uh, by the school nicely, but you, you can, lunch is bread and cheese. You can, you can toast it, but that, that is what you make for, you don't, don't send spaghetti. No, 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 no. A salad. No, 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 no. Nothing like, so our, their lunch is, is, Bread, cheese, uh, you know, you could throw a carrot in, cucumbers, tomato, like something, vegetables. And then a snack is a fruit. Uh, and that is, those are the choices. And it, it's it, it, anything beyond that is kind of like, well... What is the justification here? Is it is it like you're being extravagant? Like it, it's like I, I don't know that I can't I can't uh, I don't want to I don't want to speak falsely or, or something like that. But there's there's a Dutch expression which is you can like basically only eat one warm meal a day, okay. and, and like you don't like like having a hot lunch is like. I guess it's decadent. I don't. I don't know. It's excessive. It's not. It's not done. So I. I yeah. I'm sure if any Dutch commenters will will add some clarity. But our perspective. Our school said, you know, don't. You know, I mean, Chinese wife. There's leftovers, and you know, that would be normally. No, it, it's bread and cheese and some vegetables, and I, I mean, they grow to be you know two meters tall here all the time. So I mean, whatever they're doing is what. It, obviously, there's not a shortage of nutrition here because they're freaking giants here. I'm six three and feel you know average average i feel i don't feel i sometimes i feel tall but usually around immigrants i'm not uh in a in a, in a tram full of dutch people and I'm, I'm not an armpit but like God damn, they grow, they grow big. I was sitting with a, a Dutch guy one time here in Spain and he was he might have had a few sangrias and he was just pointing and going that one's dutch that one's Dutch. That one's Dutch. <laughs> and, he, and it was just all the all the tall people. So it yeah. is, uh, I, I get a true stereotype. That's a really interesting thing about the bread and, and cheese. Um, yeah, yeah. Boterham is, I mean, you'll have a, like, I we're doing some business here and like, you know, there's, there's business guy, 50 year old, you know, executives that, you know, their lunch is like a piece of bread, a piece of cheese and a big glass of milk. And like yeah. that's, that is like a very Dutch lunch, uh, you know? And so I, I, 
I feel as though that's a missed opportunity. I think that some tacos would, would still qualify as a lot of these things. We try to slip in quesadillas sometime, just test the waters, see if, we, if we're, you know, it's still cheesy, ready, but does that, does that count? Or are we going to get, you know, are we going to get finger whacking? Insert a bit of that Tex-Mex into the, into the Dutch lifestyle at where, where possible. Yeah, I've, I've been working on my salsa and getting some tests with my neighbors to see, you know, if, if the spice level is within within Dutch, uh, you know, tolerances and all that stuff. So we're, we're, we're pushing that envelope, trying to, trying to, trying to bring some, add something to the culture as, as we're, as we're enjoying. That's awesome, man. This was so much fun. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. I know you have plenty to do and it was nice of you to take so much time to, to tell us about your, uh, your journey and the life there in the Netherlands. Just, just a blast hearing about how the family's thriving and doing well. So thank you for this. Is, are, do you guys have any blog or social media or anywhere that people can kind of follow along? Are you keeping that stuff pretty private? Uh, we don't have any yeah, familial stuff. Uh, no, I kind of pulled off. I, we, you know, the business has its blog and all of that stuff. But in terms of our family trajectory, uh, I, 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 after the last election, I, I realized I'm done with most of social media. Uh, you can find yeah. me on me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll insert a link there just in case anybody wants to follow, follow along. Yeah. Happy to, happy to talk to anyone. So yeah. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed it and look forward to maybe connecting with you over some uh, bread and cheese and a small glass of water in the Netherlands. Well, I'm, I might find myself in uh, I might find myself in Spain before too long as well, so uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll talk uh, sangria and pulpo uh, soon enough. Oh man, this this sounds right <laughs> up my alley. All right. Thanks, Jared. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me. It also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.